What's up, Catching Up With Cub listeners? We are on a mission to make this podcast Australia's number one entrepreneurial podcast. And if you enjoy listening, you can help us do so by rating us five stars and leaving us a review. Your reviews will help other listeners find our show and it lets me know what you want to hear more of. I'm so incredibly grateful for your support. Now let's get to the show. Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today I catch up with Cub member Michelle Hex, who is probably the coolest, most interesting and inspiring person I've ever met. Michelle escaped a childhood of great adversity and went out to the world on her own. Michelle found her passion in martial arts and turned that into her business. She then ended up teaching other people how to create their own companies on selling their areas of expertise for high ticket prices. I'm talking 30,000, 50,000. She's built an incredible business, her own empire, and she lives a life of freedom. It's a very fun conversation. Enjoy the show. I'm the first podcast host that you've ever sat with that was drinking cordial. Especially green. Like, isn't green like the worst colour? No, green's the best. That's my secret, like, nighttime drink. I have um, sparkling water and cordial, like, sugar-free cordial. It's like, like I think it's Cotties or whatever it is, but it's, you know, no, diet right. Green diet right cordial, no sugar, bit of soda water. Bang, it's like a soft drink without the sugar. Okay. I'm telling you, get on the bandwagon. It's a serious, it's a serious thing. Um, oh, when we had dinner in Melbourne, which would have been, I don't know how many months ago now, with a group of members, your story was abs- – I was in stitches. And from that day I was like, I need to get Michelle on the show because it was not just funny but it, you were also so inspiring and just so clever. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to, I wanted to just – hear about your story in life and, and, and in business and, and and learn from it. So welcome. Thank you for having me. No, excuse my cordial. And um, <laughs> yeah, please. So M- M- Michelle, how would you describe yourself what you do? I mean, I, I've read it, I know a fair bit, high impact ticket price <laughs> coaching. How would you say it? Not like that. No, yeah. (laughs) Um, How I say it is I'm a high ticket office um, launch and scale strategist. So I help experts and coaches, consultants, people like that, industry experts, um, pull together a super high ticket offer, start selling it, and then we develop a scalable you know, a scale, scaled model of that, whether it's a high-ticket mastermind, whether it's an online academy, um, but we find some way to leverage their time and expertise beyond the one-to-one. And it's, Okay, so basically you help them share their knowledge for a high-ticket, high-ticket meaning expensive. Very expensive, but <laughs> worth it. Very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but worth every penny. Yeah. yeah. And did you, did you kind of walk straight into that and did, was it always high-ticket? Like how did that come, come about? Um, no, I definitely did not um, walk straight into it and I'll go back and I'll talk about my story but it's a it's a long and winding road that took me here. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I've been in business for, you know, close to 30 years now, so a really long time and I think the thing that sustained my success in all of the time is I've always known how to price and package things. I've always known how to articulate the value that I bring. I've always been hell-bent on delivering results regardless of what it was. I've always had an ability and a knack of, 
you know, combining strategy with mindset and personal development and things like that so that I can get underneath the human, <laughs> um, you know, figure out the psychology that's going on for them that's holding them back and in the way. And so I've always been able to do that and, and I've just gotten better and better and better at, you know, articulating the value, making sure that the offer hits all the right notes when it comes to the audience that, that I, I play in. And over time, you know, I've come to see that, you know, I, the stuff that I offer is really valuable and I'm looking at the results that my clients are getting and, you know, I had to make a decision that, you know, I need to charge more for what I'm doing. And people, I would have my clients say to me, you need to charge more. You need, And I thought I was at the top, you know, I thought I was charging a lot. And they were like, you need to put your price up. And, you know, most recently a client of mine just sold an 85000 US dollar package, 85000 yeah, US dollar package. And this is maybe the third or fourth package that she sold. Um, and when she came to me, she was charging hundreds of dollars. And so I know that I can help my people create these offers and sell them. That was a paid in full upfront package. And, and so like package, is it? what does she do? Like what does she teach? She's an e-commerce coach. Okay. So she's basically selling an $85,000 e-commerce course. No, one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, she doesn't have to develop content or anything. She's basically just meeting her client, you know, four times a month and – this is what you need to do next yeah. and they go do it and they get results. And, and you're and the mastermind happy. behind that making making the package and the sale possible is kind of what you specialise in. Yeah, so helping her tap into, you know, how do we create a high-value offer that people are just going to be a hell yes to because it makes so much sense that that figure is a drop in the ocean compared to what they know they're going to achieve. Let's get to – I actually want to get to – talking about how to create a high value offer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that would be a great little piece uh, within the podcast. But yeah. um, but just because I'm a bit excited about your story uh, and I know where it is, did you, you, I want to get back to to um, uh, to little Michelle, yeah. you know, to the, the beginnings of Michelle Hext. Where, where, where are you from? Did you come from a family business? Did you not? Did you, you know – what was the early part of your life like? I think this this is so funny. The pressure's on because when I told this story, you were, you you said how hilarious I was, and I was like two wines in, I think. So <laughs> it's going to be really difficult to back it up. No, that's the same right. kind of finesse. But here we go. Not hilarious, but it was definitely <laughs> impressive. And no matter yeah. what, it's going to be impressive. So don't worry. Yeah. About it. So I mean, my early um, years were, you know, I grew up in that story of domestic abuse and sexual abuse and domestic violence, and you know, it was a pretty Fort childhood. Pretty yeah. not funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, although, you know, my give my sister and I a minute and we will always find something to laugh about. Mm -hmm. um, so humour's always, I've always used humour always. Um, and so, you know, I, it was pretty traumatic growing up and I learned a lot of kind of co coping mechanisms, I guess, for um, dealing with the situation. And one of the things that I developed really early on was my ability to read people and what's really going on and, and trying to gauge the energy in the room because for me that was a safety thing, right? I needed to know, okay, how's dad going today? Is there something that's going to set him off? Like what's the feeling in the air? And so I'm really good at reading people. I'm really good at when they're telling me one thing and something else is going on, I can, I can figure that. So that was a really good skill that I learned along the way. Anyway, so I remember being 14 and not that great in school. You know, I always had the talks too much on my report and things like that, which would shock you, I know, but always had that. And so, but I, I was I was having a crack, like I was trying at school. 
But I remember my mum said to me when I was 14, she said, you better get a job because I'm not paying for you to go back to school next year. And I was thinking, now what? You know, already a statistic and I didn't want to be like uneducated on top of all the other things. And so I got a job at Woolworths in the in the deli department. They'd put me on the register and I sucked because there was just too much going on and I just kept mucking things up and it just gave me anxiety. So they put me in the, um, in the deli and I was pretty happy in there. Um, and by the time I was 16, I moved out of home. And that was when life really started for me. But even in those earlier years when there was so much going on, I was just... I read a lot, I journaled a lot and I was kind of plotting how I was going to take over my corner of the world when I was able to get out on my own and and do my own stuff. And so when I was 16, I was living the life of a grown-up, you know, I was working, I was, yeah, I was basically a grown-up by the time I was 16. And fast forward to when I was um, 20, I'd saved up to go to the US. So I took myself to the US for um, about three months on my own I saw 20 states um, and I loved it. You know, I, I went over there, came back and I decided I know what I want to be. I want to be like a park ranger. So I came back and I put myself through school to be um, – I did a diploma of applied science in natural resource management and I thought, yeah, I can see myself in the car keys and like – like at a national park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taking care of the koalas. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff that I did in the US was in parks and things like that. And I thought, that's a really cool job. And so I came back, um, put myself through school. You know, the very first lesson was um, land surveying, which requires trigonometry. And you don't learn that in year nine, which is when I left school. And I had an oh shit moment. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail. And so I went to the lecturer at lunchtime and I knocked on his office door and I said, you're going to have to help me because I don't know, like I don't understand anything. And he said, okay. And he sat with me every day for three weeks until I got it, you know. And so I'm going to school. I live about an hour away from TAFE. Um, I decided that – And you're around 20? Yeah, 20. And I decided as well that I didn't just want to be a park ranger, I wanted to be a fire bomber. So I thought I should get my pilot's license as well. So I was like living an hour away from school and I would I live on I lived on this farm. My partner and I at the time were um, managing a, a property and I was working in the pub to support myself. And then I would drive to school was four days a week, Monday through Thursday. So I would drive an hour. Some days I'd stop halfway and I'd have a flying lesson on the way to school and then I'd go to school and then I'd go home and usually go to work in the pub. So it was full on. And then in a (laughs) – So all in one day you were farming, taking care of land, flying, working at the pub and studying. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not even kidding. There was one day – And driving hours Yeah, yeah. There was one day before I left where we had to pull a calf because, the you know, the cow was having trouble delivering and I'm like pulling the calf and then – Go have a shower and stuff. Yeah, so it was pretty full on. It, <laughs> yeah. it just was a day in the life though back then. It'd be then, a great reality TV show. Oh, wouldn't it? Day in the life yeah. of Michelle <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, so in amongst all of that, I um, discovered Taekwondo, um, the martial art of Taekwondo, and oh, my God, I just – there was a – when I started, I started um, – and no offence to anybody who's done re-Taekwondo – but 
I found a re-taekwondo school. I actually don't know what re-taekwondo is. What's the difference between the two? Uh, the, the school that I went to anyway, it was very, very traditional. To give you an idea, I, for three weeks straight, would learn to walk, step properly, block and punch. That was it. And, like, I'm committed. I was, I was committed I'm going to be a good student because I am a good student when I'm committed to something I am. And then another taekwondo school opened up and usually I'm a pretty loyal person but I thought I'm just going to go check this one out. And, oh, my God, we were doing spinning kicks, we were sparring and all the rest of it within like the first week and I'm like, sign me up. So I'm like, you're dead to me, read taekwondo. And then I was straight into um, this other one and I fell in love with it straight away. And so, you know, that was that was 30 years ago that I started – longer, like 32 years ago that I started taekwondo and um, – you know, it's something that I still do when I can. Um, At this point, are you still a park ranger in, in study or is this after? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Is, are you flying? Or no, what, what I just – a board admission on everything other than um, taekwondo because it just – I fell in love with it. Okay. And it was the perfect fit because I got to – I was assistant instructing very, very early. They obviously saw my bossy side and thought she, she's – equipped to tell people what to do so we'll we'll put her in that space but I was again really good at reading people and picking up on the technique and and, um, technique correction and things like that and I just loved it so I'm a 20 odd year old woman I was maybe 22 by this stage and um, the day that I got my dobok which is the uniform I went home and I didn't take it off and I just wore it around the house with the belt and everything because I was just so into it. And so that that changed my life. That was my life for, for a long, long, long time. Um, teaching Taekwondo, um, I was a competitor. I competed at state and national level as a flyweight. Um, but why do, you think, why do you think Taekwondo was so appealing to you based on your upbringing and background? What, what was it? What was it about it? that The martial arts are incredible. They really can – Yeah. I mean, you know I love – um, I love martial arts as well, but but like I can imagine, particularly being coming from your your situation or your background, having found some sort of maybe security or or I mean, I find that martial arts distracts your mind. So for me, sometimes it's like it takes me out of my stress or my my day, and I I'm focused so much on something else because you know, you could get punched in the face. So you yep. you know you you're not thinking about yeah. getting punched in the face by work. You think getting punched in the face by the person standing in front of you. Yep. So like was it that or what, what do you think about it that you like? Yeah, really good question actually. So for me what it was was it wasn't – what it wasn't was oh, I want to learn to go and defend myself because I by that stage in my life I was I was a badass. Like no one would mess with me. <laughs> you know, just I had the energy like no one would mess with me. So it wasn't about that. It was more about I, I was really I, – I don't think I was lost as such but I, I needed – some structure in my life and taekwondo and that particular style which is WTF taekwondo which is World Taekwondo Federation but it's like WTF why did they call it that and so um, that style was every every three months you would do a belt grading and you knew that if you you know I got the syllabus I looked at the syllabus I'm like I know exactly what I need to do so I would do it and then I would grade and I would get the result. And so for me there was no randomness about it. It was all within my control and no one was going to change the rules at the last second. So there was just this – it was perfect. And yeah. so I worked my way through the belts. I double graded a lot. Um, I had to often go and grade in front of our Korean head instructor. Um, so I had my black belt in under 
it was between 12 months and maybe 16 months or something like that. So right now um, you're a, you're an experienced black belt in Taekwondo. Yeah, I have my fifth degree black oh, you're belt. Oh, fifth, fifth degree black belt. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm a, um, an Australasian Hall of Fame inductee as well. For what my does that contribu- mean? Well, there's a, there's a Hall of Fame. <laughs> contributions. Yeah. What did you do? Um, for my contribution to, to the growth of women in martial arts. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I told you this was a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, it's a it's a big part of my life. Um, I train Muay Thai now more than anything else, just because the st- the way that I trained, um, you know, there was a lot of fight to the death scenarios back in the day, and I love that. And now it's very it's a lot tamer. If you watch the Olympics now, it's almost like a tap, you know, a game of tap, and it drives me insane. Um, but back in the day, like the day of Lauren Bur- like Lauren Burns is our. Um, only gold medalist as far as I know, but she um, medalled in um, Sydney 2000. And, you know, she was amazing and the way she fought was amazing and, you know, she rocked up with two black eyes and a broken nose and, you know, that's that was just from... That was your style. <laughs> yeah, that was just from getting to the Olympics, yeah. you know, and, and that's how it used to be and it's not like that anymore and I don't have time for that. So Muay Thai is still pretty full on, right? I, I go to Thailand and train when I can and things like that and... Like it's still very physical and there's you're still like you were worried about people punching in your face or kicking you in the face, right? Um, I need that in my life. Mm. Like it need, I need that to, to, to bring the focus back. And so, yeah, whatever style of training these days, I'm not a loyal. It's not just Taekwondo. It's like whatever is going to give me that feeling um, because I know I've been doing this a long enough time now to be able to know what I need from the sessions and I give it to myself. So, and yeah. so, I mean, it really sounds like the martial arts just gave you that structure that you perhaps didn't have as a as a young adult or, or kid even potentially. It gave me the structure but it also gave me… Um, accomplishment? The, a sense of Yeah, a, I was going to say, I, I hadn't achieved goals. I hadn't considered myself as somebody who had achieved goals before then. And like the the grading system is the perfect goal, you know, when we talk about yeah. setting a goal and then breaking it down to steps and then what taking the action and all the rest of it, it's like a perfect representation of that. And I didn't just pass, I excelled at everything. I excelled at everything that I did um, in that. Like I, I, you know, I was, I was a good student, um, I was a good instructor, I, I had good – technique as a fighter and also as a traditional martial artist because I was all in and um, (laughs) yeah and so yeah and I just it gave me so much it gave me so much and it helped me really figure out who I was. And when was the first so when did when did you start your first business when did that become a thing and what made you do it? Yeah and so you asked the question about were my family in business nobody was Um, and so when I was um, at the Taekwondo school, I got to a level where I decided I wanted to start my own Taekwondo school and I got all of the, but you can't because you're not fourth down and you need to be a head instructor. And I'm like, okay, can someone be my head instructor so I can open a school? And I found a way around it. And so I did. So I opened my um, martial arts school and I had um, – yeah, but before that I was in partnership with somebody else and we had multiple martial arts schools and then I went out on my own and um, so that was my very first business. And, you know, that… So martial arts became also your first business. Not only did yeah. it give you the structure and a sense of confidence and empowerment, I'd imagine. Yeah. But it literally became, okay, 
I'll turn this into a business now. Yeah, and how, there's no better person to um, promote a product than somebody who's done it and loves it, right? And so the marketing was so easy for me because I knew what it gave me and I wanted that for everybody. I wanted everybody to have what I had had. How would you describe that? Like how would you describe what martial arts gave you? I spoke about it, about becoming the person, like becoming the disciplined person, becoming the person who made themselves proud, became the person that was ready to embrace something that was bigger than sport. So that was really the marketing angle. It's like you can go and play netball and I'm not poo-pooing on other sports. Um, I hadn't really got the same from those. You know, for me this is a solo pursuit in amongst other people. And so I I was helping them to understand that there is a philosophy here that you're going to learn. There's this this is going to change who you are fundamentally as a person. And so for me it wasn't about come along and, and learn for four weeks and do this thing, you know, and try it out. It was it was like Become a better person. Yeah. Yeah. Become someone you could be proud of. Yeah. And and uh, you're you're a mum. Yes. And when did you have your kids then? Yeah, so I had my first um, child, my son. Um, he'll be 27 this year. Wow. Yeah. So it's actually hard to, it's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah well, I, I'm, my 53rd birthday is on Monday. Wow. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, yeah, so um, – and this is a, you know, typical me kind of story, right? I was, fly, I was training for nationals and um, – so I was flyweight. So my, my weight division was under 47 kilos. So I was pretty light and just training, training, training. And I remember I'd been training and running stairs and I would just have this like burning in my lower stomach. I'd, I'd lay on the ground and just kind of rock for a little while and be like, oh, that's terrible. And then I'd be feeling nauseous. I'm like that lactic acid, you know, does weird things to you. <laughs> and then I went to have um, the the compulsory pregnancy test and I was freaking pregnant. And I'm oh, like, there's a compulsory pregnancy test to compete. Yeah. And then they told you you're pregnant. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I so didn't know that. So I'm like, okay, so what do I do here? You know, it was not on the cards. How at old all. were you? I was 26. And did you oh, – so that's when you owned you owned a school or yeah. before you owned a school? So no, you owned a martial arts yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. You're competing for the nationals for taekwondo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you found out you are pregnant <laughs> right before. Yeah. Wow. So I was three months pregnant. I wasn't just pregnant. I was three months pregnant. So that <laughs> – Damn lactic acid. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, you know, I had to make a decision. I'm like, okay, okay, well, obviously I'm having a baby now. And so um, I just rolled with it and um, it was fine, you know. So I was training the day that I had Cody and I was back on the mat like as soon as I could get back on the mat and he came with me everywhere. Um, And my daughter was born, um, so she's two and a half, there's two years and five months apart. And so in the – so – you know, part of the the story really, the back end, is that I married my instructor who, who wasn't a nice person and so I left him and then found out I was pregnant with my daughter and so he was kind of absent after that. And so, um, yeah, I had a baby on my own. I had a lunatic toddler who was just out of control. Your son. Yeah, yeah. he's <laughs> mad. And um, I lived two hours from my family so there was no one to support me. I was running a business um, I went into labour a little bit early. There was a lot of stress and conflict going on at the time and so I with, went in. With your ex-partner? Yeah, yeah. 
And so I gave birth maybe it was close to a month early and again training that day um, and then I'm like, I think I'm having the baby. So I had the baby and then I had to be back on the mat teaching one week later. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I, I still com- I competed I think five months after Cody, maybe eight months after Chloe uh, and I love both those names. They're yeah, cool names. actually, my daughter's just changed her name to Zoe. That's why I was then. I know. So she didn't identify with Chloe, so she's Zoe now. And it's like, okay, I'm still like. That's so modern. Yeah, I know. And I've just got to roll with it, right? But the Chloe just slips off the, you know, slips out of my Sorry, mum, I'm now Derek. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, so my kids were. I was competing after them. So I would just like pack them up and take them to state training or training with the black belts on Saturday mornings with Mr. Chung. And there was always someone that would just take care of the pram and like stick the bottle in if they needed to or whatever. And so, yeah, I continue competing and instructing and all those sorts of things with basically my baby strapped to my hip. And um, yeah, so. That's so incredible. Yeah. It just, it just shows you that what people are capable of, like, Nothing can get in your way if you don't want it to. Like it's it's always a choice. Yeah, it's it's interesting though. You know, I I don't really think about the struggle when I'm in it because I'm just like figuring it out and just making it happen. And for me, like quitting's never ever ever been an option. Failure's never been an option. And so I had responsibility really early, and so I had to always. Um, like make it, figure it out, right? Because there were people now, little humans that were relying on me. There was no support coming from their anywhere. father or any or anywhere really. And so I just had to figure it out. And But you had learnt survival from such a young age too. Like you were yeah. responsible for yourself. Yeah. You know, I think you said you moved, you were by yourself at 16 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and potentially even before that, you you know, you, you had, um, had to take care of yourself. Like even when yeah. you were describing having to, um, be more weary about, uh, I guess, be more um, not empathetic, but more in tune with other people's body language and yeah. mannerisms, and like that's that's you know that's that's responsibility. That's yeah. kind of self protect pr- preservation, or it, it's a responsibility of myself and my body. I need to know how to keep myself safe. Yeah, and yeah. so you, you you're a survivor is is kind of the thing. Yeah, and I I, I guess I'm. My nature is perfectly placed to have dealt with all of that and make it what it is. You know, I like responsibility. I like having it. Um, I feel like a better human when I've got people that I'm responsible for, whether it's my clients, whether it's my students at my Taekwondo school or whatever. I kind of, yeah, I like that. And, yeah, I think I've just developed those skills over over the years to to be that. And how do you – so there's a lot of people that experience bad things in life who – it, it negatively affects them to the point where it controls their life. Now, I'm assuming all like experiencing a bad thing will have a negative effect on someone, but you have created a, a wonderful life for yourself, mm. for your kids, despite the adversities that you experienced. What was that? Why? Why? Why were you able to do that? What was it? How did you look at things? You know, what what was going in your head that was rather than saying, "Oh, woe is me." I'm going to do drugs and uh, escape the feeling and implode my life. Yeah. You went opposite. You went, wow, I found something I can be good at and give me structure and learn and people around me that, you know, like you, you got stronger. Yeah. Why? Yeah, I've asked myself this so many times. I think a lot of it is in my nature. I've never been 
I've never been the sort of person to be defeatist. Um, I've never really felt like a victim. Um, How did you feel? What did you feel like? I just felt like I didn't like survivor wasn't a word, you know, back then. Yeah. Then and, and things like that. So Yeah, that's a trendy I, word. Now that's kind yeah. of like changing your name. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just kind of felt um determined and strong. And I always knew oh, I've got to tell you, this is probably one of the things that you laughed about. So when I was like creating this vision for my life when I was in my teenage bedroom, one of the things that I wanted to be was a keyboard player for pseudo echo. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, they will have me. I've got the haircut. Like I'm going to learn the skills. And so it was always something. I always had something going on in my brain. I was always working towards something. And and I didn't live in my reality a lot of the time. I lived where I wanted to be. And I didn't really know what it looked like. Like back in the day in primary school they were asking me what I wanted to be and I'm like I want to be a netballer. You know, I want to be a professional netballer and I want to be a hairdresser and I also want to be an air hostess. Like, you know, I wanted to be it all. Um, but but I I didn't and I, I didn't know how I was going to make it happen or anything like that but I just knew – I just knew I was going to do something and be something and I just – I guess I just let myself follow my nose. I didn't put any pressure on myself that it had to be one thing, you know. And when I found um, Taekwondo, it was like, oh, this is the thing. And it was the thing for a long, long time. Um, And the thing that I fell out of love with with Taekwondo was being a business owner in a Taekwondo space, even though, um, you know, and I'll talk about – You fell out of love, you said, yeah, yeah you, you, like, you didn't like being the owner of the, yeah, of the dojo. Is I, it called a dojo? A dojang in Taekwondo, dojang, yeah. yeah. Um, but I grew out of – like I outgrew the business model. You know, I was looking for more than that and so um, – More than what it could provide you. Yeah, it wasn't challenging anymore to, to grow a martial arts school and to train the students and – I'd fallen in love with the online space at a, at a point in time and I, I was dabbling in online fitness and other things like that and doing pretty well in that. And I just fell more in love with online and less in love with the structure of, you know, running a martial arts school. And while while I loved being on the mat and mixing it up with my students and, and inspiring them and, and growing them and all of that, I've never fallen out of love with being on the mat but growing and running and being responsible for the day-to-day operations of a taekwondo school was not something I wanted to do anymore. Um, I, I knew that I had the potential. Like I knew I was impacting human beings with martial arts. I knew it. I wrote my first book was called um, Bulletproof, Bulletproof Confidence and a Kick-Ass Body Through Martial Arts Training and Principles. And that was I wanted to get the message beyond my dojong out into the world. And so I knew that I was having an impact beyond the dojo Dojong, and I wanted to, um, yeah, just dial that up. Monetize that. What it was, it was less about money. Like the money stuff became a lot of fun when I started making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was about that is when money does become fun. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> when what, what do I want to do next, and what's gonna what am I going to be passionate about? Because without the passion, like oh, it's dead to me. I can't do it anymore. Like I'm incapable. And so for me, um, I had to figure out what was next. And so it was dabbling in the online space um, and I my first business was called Glow Women's Fitness Online and I was an online personal trainer and this was pre-Michelle Bridges and, and 12WBT. So there was me and there was um, two other online personal trainers in Australia 
and um, we were the only three. And so at any time I had something like, you know, 150 people signed up to my programs. So I'd be working with, you know, so that was a scaled version of personal training, like from day one. I never did personal training one-on-one. I never did any of that. But I knew I wanted to bring um, personal training into my skill set when I had the Taekwondo school. And so, um, yeah, started the online um, fitness business and that did really well. And then Michelle Bridges like smashed us all. And so I developed another program called the Rip It Up Challenge. And um, it was basically, I called it the toughest fitness, uh, the toughest online fitness challenge on the planet. And I'm like, Michelle Bridges can have those bloody stay-at-home mums that are just wanting to lose a couple of kilos. And she can have that market. I'm going to go for people like me. And so I launched that product and I freaking loved it. And it was, you know, the people were less demanding because they were more, um, but they were like, just give me the program and I'm good. A bit more whereas, capable in Yeah, sense. whereas other people wanted me to answer questions like, well, what if I don't like cottage cheese? What can I eat instead? You know, and that was like brain numbing in the end. And so that got shut down. I ran with Rip It Up Challenge for a while um, and it was around that time that I started to develop um, my next – this is really my first step into the high-ticket space and I launched a product called the High Ticket uh, – sorry, called the, um, the Honourable Martial Arts Entrepreneur. So I had – like I'll backtrack a little bit. I had spent the last probably two years um, launching and growing a women's only taekwondo school – so I wanted something different. I'd been out of owning martial arts schools for a little while because I was co- I was doing my business and life coaching and um, I was ready to go back into setting up a taekwondo school because I think I was grading for maybe my fourth dan at the time and I was just really into it. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to open another school. And I thought, how am I going to do it? I'm going to do it differently to anything else. I'm only going to teach women. I'm only going to teach adults. Um, I'm going to teach like eight classes a week instead of 40 Um, and I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to market it very, very differently and this was an absolute game changer. So it was called Push Women's Only Taekwondo and Fitness and um, so I, the way that I marketed this thing was so brilliant. So if there's any more martial arts people listening, pay attention (laughs) because this is something that, you know, the people that I taught still use. So traditionally in marketing martial arts schools, it's it's every it looks the same, right? The traditional colours, red, white, yellow, blue, black and white. And they have little ninjas, next level little ninjas, and then they have the sub ninjas or whatever, right? All these kids branded class, it's all branded classes, but it's all the same. And it's all essentially come along and try and we'll give you a free uniform and you can try it. And what they do is... The, um, the students in the class, the highest ranking students usually are pulled out of the class and they're given these beginners, you know, just, you know, go and teach the beginner. So the beginner's thrown in with all of these people and it's freaking them out and the students aren't on the mat learning because they've got to go and help, you know, somebody else. But that's just a crap model for everybody involved. So I thought how I'm going to do it is I'm going to develop a four-week Program. So I called it the four-week absolutely begin, absolute beginner program. And it was, I think, $129 and all they got were eight lessons. They didn't get a uniform. They didn't get anything. They got me on the mat for eight sessions over four weeks. And in groups? I, groups. Yeah, yeah, groups. Groups of – so I had a, yeah, good group. So I only marketed once a term. 
And so I would build my intake every term by doing this four-week program that they paid for. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't get a uniform unless you join up because you earn a uniform, you know. And people turned up to every single lesson because I basically said to them, I'm here I'm going to be here for eight sessions. I expect you to be here for eight sessions. And I just gave them a good old, this is what it's like in my world. If you want to be part of it, here are the rules. And they loved it. And I just developed this four-week syllabus that pushed them, but they could do it. You know, the balance was just perfect. And so I would move these people from the absolute beginner program that they paid for. And then I would say to them, if you want to join the regular syllabus, you know, the regular classes, then... I'll credit you the cost of this program to the um, joining fee and the, you know, the insurance and stuff like that. And the conversion rate was close to 100%. And it meant that they all started to learn together and they were so bonded that the collectively they all wanted to move forward. And it was just a game changer. And so um, – and, and I'd never had more fun – and my school had never grown so fast. I was charging probably four times the fees that everybody else was charging and it was changing lives. You know, it was really hard to let that school go because it was just, oh, it was amazing. And I wanted to teach people how to do that. Not necessarily women, but I knew that there were instructors out there that had a sweet spot for a particular type of student. So for me, the adult women, they were the ones that I always loved and when you had the right student on the mat you just come alive and you're a better instructor and it's like I want to build a club where I only teach those people this is this is available to me so that's what I did and so the honorable martial arts entrepreneur was about success isn't just getting more students success isn't running more classes I run eight classes a week and we were doing very well and the marketing was next level it was incredible and if I do say so myself, it was mine. I created <laughs> well, it. Well, it worked. But it worked, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was – so the how I framed it was because I knew women loved boxing classes, right? And so the headline was something like, if you think boxing's a good workout, you need to try this. And so it was just like grab the people that were already in that space. And so the Honourable Martial Arts Entrepreneur was this five-month program. It was also a digital course and a, a group coaching online program and things like that. And I taught them how to niche and how to create that syllabus and all the rest of it. And it was very, very successful. Um, I've got one client that works with me, you know, from time to time. So this was a high ticket program that taught people how to run a niche-based martial arts school. A niche-based martial arts school. So that was that your first program? Yeah, yeah, that was the first big one. Wow. Yeah. And so where we were at Circa, that Mm -hmm. room, I ran an event there and – that was that was that day I made something like it blew my mind. I think I made something like thirty nine thousand dollars or something in that day, and um, I moved people into that program. The program itself was around I think it was about seven thousand Australian for the five. Like what was I thinking? It was such a good program. I should have been charging more, but like that was twenty twelve. Yeah. So that was a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you make 30, 40 grand in a day today, it's still a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And so do that every week and you're looking pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. And so um, and then I had recurring payments as well. So I had a couple of people pay in full and then had recurring payments and I'm like, I'm about this. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm about this life. Yeah. And so I stuck with that brand for a while because I really loved it. And then I just felt myself labouring over the sales of it because – um, martial arts school owners and many industries are like this, right? I think hairdressing is another one. But 
it, it's like they didn't go into becoming martial arts school owners because they were um, excellent business people. They went into it because they were good at martial arts and their instructor was like, you need to open a club for me. And that instructor, that head instructor was, was clueless about business as well usually. And so um, – they weren't willing to invest really. Like there were a handful but it was just hard work. And so I remember just saying to myself, I think I'm going to move into the female entrepreneur market. And so I basically repackaged what I was doing, <laughs> went out there and sold a $27,500 package and capped it at eight people. I ran another event at um, Circa. What, what's is Circa where we had our cub community? Oh, sorry, yeah, because it's called the Deck, the Prince Deck. Yeah, so um, Circa was the restaurant there. That's at where the we time. did our launch for cub communities. Yes, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. it. Yeah, and so um, I I ran a couple of um, daytime events where like I was they were capped at eight, and I sold seven people into that first program for for just all, just under thirty grand each. Yeah, Jeez. yeah, and then I'm like, hello, and then I. <laughs> I went back and I – because I had a, quite a significant online following by this stage and then I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a program about how to do this. So I, I went on Facebook, I think it was, and I'm like, who wants to know how to do what I just did? And they're like, me. And I'm, they're like, take all my money. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm I think I'm good. I think I've hit I'm the jackpot. Something. Yeah, because – So just to clarify yeah. though, so you went from – uh, selling courses on specific things like martial arts or female entrepreneurship to teaching people to selling courses about selling course about selling programs yeah <laughs> and that's still what I do that's awesome yeah that is a great story yeah and and they're just high high value ticket items and you're 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 teaching people to essentially make a living the way you're making a living yeah which is is through uh, uh, programming their areas of expertise and selling them uh, at a high price point with brilliant marketing um, and and really you'd argue it's a, it's a very um, it's a very um, flexible or, or free way of living too because you you don't need a lot of staff costs you don't need a lot of office costs you don't have to work twenty four seven because you, you really I mean I'm sure there's a lot of work outside of the actual class outside Not the actual really. program. <laughs> But, but like in creating the program and then some people I'd assume would pay an, an ongoing fee that, that you know, is for, is for support and consulting and all that type of stuff. But, but still you're living a you, – you make big money and live a free life. I know. You know, the thing that I love and the thing that I've started talking about a little bit more because I haven't really spoken about it a lot. I might start, I might start selling courses on <laughs> it's all right, I can hook business you up, communities. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I haven't really spoken about a lot is – you know, there are a lot of women uh, or coaches in my space and they're making multi, multi, multi millions, but their expenses are very, very high. And um, I'm like, how? Because I run a very lean business and I have specialists that take care of like specialty areas for me. Um, last year, I tried to, I, last year is what I deemed the year of no stone unturned. So I hired a massive in-house team and I'm like, I'm doing it the way I'm supposed to do it, inverted mm. commas. It yeah, sucked. the way I'm supposed to do yeah, it. Yeah, and it sucked. And this money was just going out and I was freaking out and I felt a little bit not about the money but because I felt like I lost control of my business and my message and all the other things that made me me. And so I basically just fired everybody and then I hired a few, you know, key strategic people back in their positions 
and now it's very, very lean. And so I teach people how to do this in a very lean way. Mm. You know, even I, one of the calls that I ran this morning, I was talking about when I launched, um, I ran a, a six-month mentorship program for a few years and, you know, it was a high ticket and I ran it out of a Facebook group. You know, we would have um, the modules were set up in a Facebook group. I didn't create um, a, a, like I didn't use Kajabi or anything like that because people, they wanted to just download the content. The content was minimal because it wasn't about the content. It was about the implementation. It was about the live calls. It was about the support. And so people get it in their head that they have to spend a lot of money to bring this stuff to life. But most of the, the, the my formula, if for want of a better word, is super, super lean. Like the, your biggest investment is always going to be me. And then, you know, we get that back pretty quickly because I'm showing people how to create one offer where all they have to do is sit with the client. That's it. And and teach them what they know. And, you know, my clients pay me 10000 US a month to do that. And there's no pre-work. There's nothing. There's just me jumping on the end of a Zoom call. It's a fantastic four business times model. A, four times a month. Yeah. It's a yeah. fantastic business model, particularly for, um, and I, I could be wrong here so you can correct me, but particularly for mothers and even women who who want the business and the, the financial freedom and that type of thing, but also um, uh, don't want to be constrained by the constraints of a full-time job like I have to be there nine to five and I have to you know like do this in this business you're making big money and you're making it when you want to make it in the time frames you want to make it and from a home office from a home office it's 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 an incredible yeah um sit you you're on <laughs> I know, you're and, you know something. yeah and as I you know I flew up from Melbourne to to come and do this and could I, be men by the way who want that yeah as well, yeah, so yeah. I well I, I do that. I work with I work with yeah, men. My branding's all pink and obnoxious to men, but they still work with me. Yeah. So, yeah. But I flew up and I knew I had a, a webinar to run this morning, but I just bought, you know, stuff with me and, and did it from my hotel room. And, you know, I've travelled around the US and all different places and just um, do my work from there, you know, it's or I don't. I just let my clients know or I build in a, a week into a course if it's a group course that's running where I get to take that time down. It's very lifestyle. Yeah. You, you've, you've just built a great life. And it sounds like also you, you're very much an expert in the marketing and packaging of these things. Yeah. Uh, obviously involving the pricing. Because yeah. even what you said before, like when you're marketing your Taekwondo gym, rather than saying, you know, this is a Taekwondo gym. Here's another martial arts yeah, school. Yeah. You said if you think boxing is good. Or what did you I write yeah. it down? If you think box, if you think I wish I could read my own writing. If you think boxing is a good workout, then you should try this. That's excellent because everybody. Well, I know what boxing is, and I I currently do boxing. It's a great workout. Well, I'm also going to like this. I don't even have to think about what it is. It's yeah. just that's that. Yeah. It's brilliant market. Yeah, and the um the the visual image. This was my first when I first fell in love with Canva. Yeah. We not love oh, Canva. Oh, oh we, my God. I love Melody Perkins. She's my favourite. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And so um, I developed this um, flyer and it became the website and it became all the other things. And it was this woman. It was just her torso. She had hot pink and white striped shorts on. She had pink boxing gloves. Her hands were by her side and she had ripped abs. And that was all. And, and that's so they were going to look at it because of the boxing gloves. I knew they would. And um, – it was it was a winner. Yeah, that's yeah. It. and so but what's your how do you go about so obviously that might come naturally to you and of course you've refined it. Are there any lessons or tips that you've got in how you create those or um 
or, or yeah, well, I guess what's your methodology around packaging things, in, whether it be marketing or pricing? Yes. And how are you able to get away? Um, well, I mean, you're able to get away with it because it's worth it. But, but, and I guess you got the balls to 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 ask to charge that. So it's yeah. kind of like you know, yeah. the, so you can. But, but, I guess you, it has to be sold correctly and has to be marketed correctly. Because if I even me, if I went to someone and said, "Hey, you can join Cub, it's going to cost you thirty grand." Well, they might be, oh, you know. Yeah, but you're not going to say it like that, are you? But that's my point. (laughs) So, you know, how do you go about framing things? Yeah. So for me, I'm always looking at what's the value proposition here. And so I know that um, if somebody is going to pay me $10,000, you better like put money on the fact that they're going to make $100,000. Like then, you know, $10,000 is going to seem very insignificant very, very quickly. Like that's the whole point. If you start point. advertising the fact no, that, that y- 10 is going to become 100. No, what I'm saying is, oh, yeah, for sure. But but for me, it's, it's like I position myself at that end of the market because I don't want to work with idiots. Yeah. Um, and I want to work with people who, like people who will invest at that also are the people that are going to get a result. And they're serious. Yeah, they're, they're committed. 100%. Yeah, and they, and they don't use me like Google. You know, they're like they're using me at that high level that I want them to use me at, not what font should I use on my freaking logo. Like they're not asking me those questions. It's very high level. Um, but how do I come up with the, the value proposition? I'm always in the mind of my client. So I create everything from their perspective. So my latest offer that's just about to go live now, it's a 12-month program. It's called um, Become a, um, a, a Specialist High Ticket Coach and it's a 12-month um, coaching certification and um, mentor sh- uh, mastermind program. And so I was sitting down and I haven't run a 12-month program for a little while. I um, got out of that and I launched this amazing program called the 5K Formula for Coaches, which was five grand, four weeks. You, I teach them how to sell $5,000 coaching packages and people were selling anywhere from two to like five coaching packages in four weeks. And so that's a that was an amazing bit of packaging. But with this program, oh, oh, let me talk about the 5K Formula actually because that's a really perfect working model and simple. It's a nice name too. Yeah, it's trademarked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called, um, yeah, the 5K Formula for Coaches and the tagline is create and sell your first $5,000 coaching package in four weeks or less. Like that was my big promise. And a lot of people are too scared to make a big promise. I'm not. Like I, I will back myself and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure they get a result. Anyway, so the 5K formula was off of the back of me doing all of these 12-month programs and I thought I can't do another 12 months. I wanted to do a bit of travel and I just was burnt out from the 12-month thing. And so I thought, what can I do? And I thought, like, I would love to do a four-week program. Oh, how good would that be to do a four-week program? And I thought, okay, so it's going to be 5,000 US. It can't be less than that. So I'm just playing around with like the outward concepts first and then I'm thinking, what do they need? Like what do they really need? And if I go back to like the very first step, if I want to make someone successful, what's the first thing that I do? And it's like, well, you you help them figure out what their sweet spot is and you package that. And then you show them how to sell it and then you show them where to get the clients and then they sell it. Like that's the, that's the process essentially. And it's like, yeah, and what would we call this? I'm like the 5K formula, the 5K formula for coaches. And I could see the ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching in the background because I knew it was a winner. And so, um, yeah, and I – so I knew it was good and I thought, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold their hand and show them how to 
create and sell $5,000 coaching packages and I'm going to make sure they get a result. And um, that worked. And it was because I was thinking about what they needed. So I had this little bit of like, what am I willing to do and not willing to do? Not willing to do 12 months. Um, I'm willing to do four weeks. (laughs) Like that sounds good. And then what kind of result can I get in four weeks? And then what do they need? So I'm always thinking about what is it that they need. So, and I know my market pretty well. And and you, uh, I read that you hated Instagram, but now you love it. Yeah, is that true? Yeah. yeah. Um, the reason I hated it was because I love Facebook. I still do, but it's like it's dying. Like you know, it's dying. The engagement's so way yeah. down. I'm like, come on, Mark, make it easy for us and make our ads work again because they're not working anyway. Aside from all of that, so I love Facebook because, um, like, it's a vanity thing. I like the horizontal videos better than the vertical videos. That was one thing. The other thing was um, I could write really long form. So I did this thing where I went live stream pretty much every day for a year and I would do a long um, form blog post every day for about a year. And I loved it. And so Facebook will let you do that, but Instagram won't. It kept chopping my shit off halfway through it and it was driving me insane. I'm like, I can't do this. Like I can't be, I can't be like corralled into like 500 words or whatever it was. And so when did that change though? So when did you start loving Instagram? Well, I started loving Instagram when I was selling my things and people were coming to my events and I was asking them where you found me and it was Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I better learn to love this. And so, um, yeah. You got to love wherever the money comes from. Yeah. And so um, my first love is Facebook. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm digging Instagram now. I I really like it. Do you have a big following? Got about 130,000. Oh, you've got a pretty big following. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's growing, yeah. That's incredible. What's yeah. your Instagram so the listeners um, can find you? Michelle Hext. Oh, yeah, my that, name. Make, well, that makes sense. It does make yeah. sense. <laughs> at yeah. Michelle Hext. We do have to wrap up soon because Laura keeps twirling her finger at me. Um, and you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, so everyone go to at Michelle Hext and, and follow Michelle, but you mentioned um, that you wrote, I, I, I did, you wrote, you mentioned in this conversation that you had written your first book. Yeah. Do you have more books? Yeah. So the first book was, um, yeah, The Bulletproof Confidence and a Kick-Ass Body Through Martial Arts Training and Principles. That was really, yeah, I wanted to empower people through the, the martial arts mindset, even if they physically couldn't train with me. Um, so that was the first book. The second book was called The Honourable Martial Arts Entrepreneur and – the third book was called um, The Art of Kicking Ass Elegantly in Business, in Fitness, in Love and in Life. <laughs> and that that kicked off my my master, that 12-month big ass offer. Like that was kind of in tandem with that book. Um, I did release another book called um, Secret Coaches Business, um, but it didn't really get the grab that I wanted and I realised that um, the name sucked. Um, but also... <laughs> And I trademarked that too because I thought it was going to be a winner. Um, but the other thing as well was um, it was I'd written it and by the time I'd finished writing it, I'd outgrown that market. So I, I removed that. That's not on the market anymore. Oh, thank you so much for coming in today, Michelle, who's a more brilliant conversation than, than even I was expecting. So thank you so much. And, and obviously you. for being a member of Cub, we're a much stronger club with you involved. And to the listeners, if you want to find out more about Miss Michelle Hext, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast. Uh, you'll find Michelle's LinkedIn there, website. And also you can just cut the line and go straight to Michelle Hext uh, on Instagram and message her directly there too if you want. Michelle, thank you so much. 
Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Hope you enjoy the show.